Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How do they begin and how do they end? Let's find out on this episode of Fan of History. Hello, Dan. Hello, Bernie. Once again, there is an ocean between us. Yes, I know. It was really fun doing it in person, wasn't it? It was amazing to meet you and Enkidu in person. It was. It really was such a it great. So... We had a great time after the recording as well. But maybe we shouldn't talk about that publicly in case there are uh, um, police looking for us. <laughs> I, I do have to say, I got a little bit of a hangover, and I had to take a little nap on Enkidu's grandmother's couch at six in the morning or seven <laughs> in the morning, whatever it was. But um, yeah, I got to drive the Volvo in Sweden back to Malmo from Stockholm, and uh, it was a, quite a good Swedish experience. So I have to say, Taksimirka. Weekend at Bernie's. Weekend yeah. at Bernie's in Stockholm. Yes, and great. Weekend with Bernie so, in Stockholm, okay. Correct. So yeah, anyway, we're going to talk about the 90s, right? We're going to talk about the 90s. Remember yeah. when the Canadian Gerald Winston Bull was assassinated in Belgium in the 90s? Yeah, right? Remember that? Yeah, he was. Yeah, well, who uh, was that guy? He was a Canadian engineer who developed long-range artillery. He's the guy that designed the Project Babylon super gun for Saddam Hussein. Oh shit! It was a huge artillery piece, and he was assassinated outside his apartment in Brussels in March 1990. It was probably, or do I dare say this on the podcast? <laughs> it was probably as it always is, Mossad. But no person's ever been charged with the murder of Bull. Are you going to start a podcast on that now? (laughs) I have another podcast about the Mossad murder, but that's not proven as well. But there are lots of cool stuff in the 90s. You have Grunge, you have Lollapalooza, and the fall of the Soviet Union. That's right. We're going to talk about that today. 
No, we're we're going to talk about the 590s, man. 590s BC. But that's really long ago. I know, but that's our gig. That's like our jam. Well, that's what <laughs> we'll talk do. about the old days, way back times. This is kind of a shout out to all our listeners from Canada. Hi there, Canadians. Yes. Hey, what's up, Canadians? We appreciate you. Yes, we uh, we just found out found out that at some point, twelve point five five percent of our listeners were from Canada. So, how about that? Wow! Hi, Canadians. Hello, Canadians. If you know, have any information on what was going on in Canada in six hundred BC, five nineties, we'll we'll take it. I, I do know that in Canada, with the natives, and there was a giant like that area. There was a huge uh, iron deposit, like iron ore. I think it was even like. Maybe it was meteoric iron, or it was didn't really need to be smelted. So they would get you can get the the north the northern uh, Indians were able to get iron from that area. Wow, I had no idea about that. Yeah, I'm trying to get really dig more into that too. So, I yeah. I want to do another special shout out to Johan Streng, who has uh, sponsored us on Patreon and reached the. Highest level of any sponsor on Patreon, he is now Marduk, Lord God of Babylon. All right. Way to go. How do we pronounce that name again? Yuan String. Oh, way to go, Yuan. Tak Yuan. Thank you. And I'm glad you got your bed back from, from Assyria. That's good. <laughs> oh, for <Furniture>. sure. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to shout out to my man, Jason Saunders, again, even though, I don't know, I think you're slacking and you haven't been keeping up with the episodes. I got a feeling, but. Eventually, you'll hear this. Get it together, Jason. Come on. And then one, another sh- one more shout out here is uh, my Scranton peeps. You know, some of you guys listening, I, I appreciate it. If you can give us some reviews on Apple and Spotify, I'd appreciate it. I hope the podcast grow and couldn't possibly uh, go back to Sweden next year and hang out with Dan again. That would be cool. It really would. The latest Swedish review of Phantom Histories from uh, 30th of August in 2021. Ah. Come on, Swedes, let's go. So yeah, any reviews? And even if like, you know, if you're, another way you could just help is just share it on your social media, tell your friends and family, like at the water cooler, someone's like, hey, what have you been up to? And say, oh man, I've been listening to the coolest podcast, Fan of History. It really went a long way. Like our guy, Matt McGovern, I bet he does it all the time. But just grab your coworker at the water cooler and tell them all about the podcast. <laughs> Don't let them go. We're like, <laughs> you have to hear about Asher Nassipal the second. <laughs> Absolutely. That'll make you a lot of friends. It will. Well, you never know. You make good friends that way anyway. People so, interested in Assyrian history. Exactly. Well, we're almost done with the Assyrians now, so we're moving on into the to the next uh, century, which is the 6th century BC. But one other thing before that is what Dan and I have been just talking. We're going to start a new sort of series as part of the podcast. We're going to call it What's New in History? Because there's always new things that are being found. And um, so we want to share those things, and I think it'll be fun. And I, and I kind of have one here. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. So um, there, an Urartan fortress was discovered at an altitude of 3,300 meters in eastern Turkey. So it's like way on the top of a mountain. It's um, It's from the... It's from the district of Van in eastern Turkey. So this forest ru- um, ruin is considered to be used by the ruling class of Urartans. I mean, 3,300 meters is over two miles for us Americans. This team, they climbed uh, this mountain. It's called 
How do you pronounce that? You think Cara Dog. The Cara black dog. Mountain. Cara Dog. Yeah. So it's like 1,100 feet to 11,000 feet, 3,300 meters. So that's way up there. There was a whole team. There was a team of archaeologists, anthropologists, art historians. They climbed for four hours. They had a professional mountaineer take them up this, you know, this road. Well, this mountain. And they found a, they found a road actually and a castle from, you know, the Urartan period. They found this large cistern with a, it's a diameter of seven meters. They found walls, a lot of ceramic remains and the ruins of the ancient road. It was made of um, rocks and sandstones. It was uh, about a kilometer long and 30 meter wide. Uh, yeah. I think it was like six, it's three meters wide, sorry. One kilometer long and three meters wide mountain, I mean, mountain road up to this thing. And it says that it was determined that the fortress was used by the Urartan executives. And so I guess that means they had like Zoom meetings and martini lunches up there, I think. <laughs> I think they were hiding out from their enemies there and ruling the country. This is very central in Urartu, but nothing is central if it's 3,300 meters up. I guess, yeah, that's what I wonder. Like, I guess, I guess you could, you know, if you're up there, you can't get at you. You could, you know, na 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 na, trying to get me up here. I imagine a poor Assyrian invaders that had to climb that high. Oh my God, they probably never got them up there. Of course, you know, like you can't keep a whole army up there, probably, but you can keep the executives. So, um, yeah, they determined that this, and they they dig this area every year too. You know, they go and they check out stuff, and it's um, they designate this as the capital city. By the Urartans. So the lead archaeologist said, during the climb, we first encountered an ancient road leading to the fortress. The ancient road is exciting. Summit is reached by passing through this ancient road about three meters wide and one kilometer long. We see that the Urartans built a tremendous fortress at 3,300 meters. We found that this fortress was also used in the periods after the Urartans. And um, they, you know, like we said before, they found ceramic. And from different civilizations too, but especially from the Urartans. And he continues, he says, there is a cistern dug into the bedrock to meet the need for water during the summer months. It was re-knitted with Corazon mortar in the Middle Ages. There are traces of it bearing the classical features of the Urartans. We observe that they cut the bedrock to form the walls. That's pretty amazing. There is much pottery from the Urartan, Iron, and Middle Ages periods in the area. The fortress is on a summit with a cliff on all four sides. It is almost impossible to conquer this place. This is the administrative center. The ruling class lived here. Just below are the sections where those who serve the administrative center live, he said. One continues a little bit more. We have been researching the land for 30 years. Urartu has always surprised us. This is the first time we've come across a fortress of this height. I can say it's the most important fortress we found so far. And you heard it here, fan of history. That's very fascinating. And I, I don't know how high the sort of basic ground level is around Van. I bet it isn't sea level. Yeah, but, that's a good point. But this must be a super impressive fortress and so hard to supply. And like, just go there must be an adventure. Yeah. And you could see so far, like if we, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll post in the show notes. You can see the views, like where these guys are up, and they are up there. Well, they, so they yeah, see you, the meads coming from up there. Exactly. I mean, this thing's been there for freaking 2,500 years, and no one saw it before. So it's not like on the beaten path. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, oh, look at this, kind of hiking around here, and you find it. It's up there. I wonder what they did there in the Middle Ages. Yeah, 
Uh, hermits, probably. Could be, yeah. <laughs> I'll be bored, man. I couldn't do it. So yeah, that's what's new in history today. But we're gonna keep that keep that going. But it'll be like you know, it'll be a separate uh, episodes. That'll be. We'll label them what's new in history, and it'll be a separate series of episodes. Correct. Maybe. Hopefully, we'll like put them in between. So, fan of history will be out every week, and in between will be uh, maybe our narrative, and then in between will be what's new in history. I think our ambition is a fan of history is out every other week, as per usual, and then what's new in history the other other weeks. Correct. I think yes. that's what I said. I, I'm not sure, <laughs> but hopefully well, the listener understands what we what we mean. You exactly. will see. Yes, you'll see. We're doers here. We say we're going to do it. We're going to do it. So what else? What so, do, yeah. do you want to talk about today? I think um, I can go to Greece if you like. Please do. All right, let's go to Greece. So the first thing we have we're right in the beginning of the century, five ninety eight, five ninety nine. This uh, uh, Camarina is founded in Sicily by Syracuse. So it's founded by Syracuse. So I think this is the first time we have a colony that's founded by another colony. You know, like they didn't come from the Greece. They came from a, a, a current colony. I think we might have had one before, but I can't remember. I know. That's how I feel about it. So if anyone's like binge, <laughs> binge listening our, our, you know, series, uh, sorry, and let us know that we messed that one up. Unfortunately, it was destroyed in 552 by... Syracuse, but we'll we'll get to that. Fifty years. It's still you know today it's the municipality of Ragusa. And do the um, distance, and you know if you from Syracuse to Ragusa, it's an hour and twenty two minutes by car. It's um it's eighty eight point two kilometers. So this you know I wasn't like the uh, the vocations in uh, founding Marseille. This was a little closer. Um yeah actually this was. <laughs> This, oh, was, right yeah, after this was the third of Syracuse colonies. <laughs> colonies yeah, but before. we didn't know about those other two. They're little. <laughs> I don't remember talking about them anyway. So, yes, yeah, this is the third one that they founded there. So, yeah, Thucydides says it was founded in uh, 598. And um, they found pottery there. So, that's how we know that it was um, you know, founded around then. There are also other literary sources that claim a similar date. Yeah. It was politically dependent on, Syrac on Syracuse, and then that's why it was destroyed later because they tried to revolt against them later. But again, we'll, we'll get to that in the 550s. Are they going for mines or something? What's, why do they establish a colony this close? It looks like their intention was... Um, or maybe they wanted to control a bigger area. I think that's what, I, that's what I was about to say. They needed to control, yes, that, what it was was Syracuse intended to control the whole southeast corner of Sicily because now we say we're starting to rub up against the Carthaginians. So, and Syracuse is now its own city. You know, like they're not, I mean, they're not as reliant on the, main, on the mainland Greeks, you know, their original founders. So they're sort of feeling, you know, cities in these days, I mean, today we don't just attack our neighbors. It's not like a thing. But in, you know, the ancient days, like, Growing your city was something that you did, so it was honorable. So the, you know, Syracuse becoming a bigger city, they they were you know trying to control that whole area there. There's still native sickles and and things like that going on, um, and also the Carthaginians. So I believe that's why they did it. And they've been around on Sicily for 140 years at this point. So right, they they I think they really want to control as much of Sicily as they can before Carthage takes it all. Right. I mean, we're talking like seven generations. You know, you go seven generations back, you kind of don't remember. It's almost like, you know, the, Mar the United States is, we're not thinking about the British. Oh, exactly. Know? We have our own place here. So, yeah, that's them. 
Another, we got another colony. We got pretty much always get a colony. Yeah, we are still at, in the age of colonization. Correct. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry, and some well less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs. United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Got um, something else here in Greece, another beginning of something. And it's the first, and this is kind of cool. I like this one. It's the first sacred war in Greece. I know, I believe the third sacred war was something with Philip the Great and now that. So like the sacred wars were a thing. You know, it's sort of like the gods need you to fight this war for them. This war was fought between the Dan, you gotta say that word. The Amphictyonic um, League of Delphi Correct. and the city and, of Gira. Correct. And that word that Dan said means a league of neighbors. So it was an ancient religious association of tribes that was actually formed before the Greek polises. So this one, this Amphictyony, was controlled by the Thessalians, and they attempted to take hold of the Kyrian plain. Of Apollo, which has resulted in this war, and the reason that they did that was because Kira was accused of frequent robbery and mistreatment of pilgrims going to the Oracle of Delphi, and they were starting to encroach on the Delphic land. So the god Apollo, I guess you know, said we need to have this sacred war. It's always something about gods and God, like they, the, the they're place, so powerful, but they need help, don't they? Yeah, but the place where all these robbers and uh, bandits live is in itself sacred. And that's why it's a sacred war. Ah, true. I gotcha. And they're messing with the Delphic, you know, the Oracle. Yeah. So throw out the bandits and barbarians from Kira from the sacred plain to secure access to Delphi. Exactly. So that's why it's a sacred war. And this was the first one. But here's what's kind of cool. I like about it. So the leader of the attack was the tyrant Cleisthenes of Sicyon. He had a powerful navy, so he blockaded the city's port, and he used the um, the army, the allied army, to besiege the city of Kira. And the Athenians even participated in this. They had a contingent. 
So then what? This is the cool part. So what transpired? It's a matter of debate, but we're pretty sure this happened. This is how it went. It's the earliest and uh, probably the most reliable account is from this medical writer named Thessalos. He wrote this down in the 5th century BC, so that's um, another 100 years later, that the attackers discovered a secret water pipe leading to the city after it was broken by a horse's hoof. And then there's an Asclepiade, which is a sort of a doctor. He's named Nebros. He advised the allies to poison the water with hellebore, which rendered the defenders so weak with diarrhea that they were unable to resist the assault. So this is like the first, you know, recorded um, in recorded history of chemical warfare, basically. Biological warfare, I would say. I thought it was too, but they keep calling it chemical because, okay. you know, I mean, you're sort of like poisoning it with a poison. You know, even though it's a biological poison, I mean, every you know, if like if you stick poison in the water, oh, I think least... biological would be more like they get a disease. You know what I mean? Like, ah, okay, you, I get yeah, it. You can't catch it from the other person. You'd have to actually drink the water. So we now have a city full of farting bandits. <laughs> <laughs> yep, this hellebore is that's it's like this evergreen plant. Sometimes it's called winter rose, Christmas rose, Lenten rose, but they're very poisonous. So thus, the city was captured and the entire population was slaughtered. But here's my little gem. I always like these little, little nuggets. So this Nebros guy who said to do this, he's considered to be an ancestor of Hippocrates. So this story has caused many to wonder if it not have been guilt over this ancestor's use of poison that drove Hippocrates to establish the Hippocratic Oath. That is the oath that all doctors swear today, right? Correct. So it could be because of this, you know, little event that happened when his ancestor poisoned the city, gave them all diarrhea. In Scran, we say, the old timers, they'll say the diarrhea. <laughs> so it's kind of like, oh, you got the diarrhea. So they gave the whole city the diarrhea. And while they were, you know, <laughs> having diarrhea, they, they slaughtered them. And they won. It was destroyed. All its lands were dedicated to Apollo, Leto, and Artemis. And it was for big. It was forbidden to cultivate them or let animals graze on them. And the inhabitants fled to the mountains. And then the last, the last uh, little part here is to celebrate the end of this. The first Pythian games were organized, and this Clesthenes, the, the tyrant, he played a major part in them. And what are the Pythian games, you ask? They were one of the four Panhellenic games of ancient Greece, and they were held in honor of Apollo. Um, at Delphi every four years. So they were like two years after the Olympic Games. They continued until the fourth century AD. And they were like the second. So like you had the main Olympics and then the Pythian Games. It was like in the order of, you know, the most important ones. Mm -hmm. So it's maybe it's like pro football and college football and American football. Here. It's a little different too, though, because unlike the Olympics, the Pythian Games, they had competitions for art and dance and women were allowed to take part in some events. Kind of cool. Well, maybe they were also cancelled by Theodosius the Great then in the 4th century AD when he made Christianity mandatory in the Roman Empire. Yeah, probably cancelled all the games. We don't know. The, we don't, I mean, I don't think we're going to ever have the Pythian, the winners of the Pythian games every year. But Oh, let's not do that. No, we'll never finish this. We'll be, on the, we'll be forever every time. Yes. So what's so, yeah. next in Greece? When, there's another huge event in Greece. Uh, this is... Um, this is um, Solon. You know, did you ever hear of Solon? Oh, yes. I, uh, I wrote some novels back in the day and got yeah. published. But I, I stopped writing during my 
historic novel about Alaric's sack of Rome in 410 AD. And I named the character Solon after this guy in that book. It was never published. Oh, sorry. It's in Swedish too, right? So I can't read it. Yes. And it's not finished Ah. at all. So. No, but, I but put, I put it right know, into Google Translate. I don't know a ton about the years 395 to 410 AD in the Roman Empire. That's probably my greatest area of expertise in history. I remember you telling me that when we first started this. Yes, and we'll probably never reach that in this show. Unless we start a new podcast. Uh, we'll just push ahead and get there. I'm sure there's a lot of people just want to study that era. Let's talk about Solon. Let's do that, right? So the leaders of Athens were facing an economic crisis, popular discontent. So they um, they appointed the poet statesman Solon to institute democratic reforms and revive the city's constitution. So here's the thing: I this is what I I think this is sort of update for the podcast. This is a huge event in, in real history. I mean, I knew about Solon when I was a kid. If you and my kids take school, they're going to learn about Solon. It's in the books, right? There's definitely people who spend. Like, you know about the 390s, there's probably 100 times as many people that know about Solon. So if we wanted to, like, dig, dig into every little detail about Solon, we'll be here for, like, ever. So we need to, like, you know, pick these things out and cover them. We'll hit the big points and the interesting points. And if I can find something funny, we'll talk about it. We, You know, if you're, like, taking a – if you're getting a master's class on Solon, this, you know, we can't be your source. <laughs> he does a lot of things, right? He travels a lot and talks to people everywhere and – Stuff like that. Yeah, that's the story. So that's supposedly after he does his, his stuff. You know, I, Solon's going to be is one of those characters that's probably been embellished a lot, you know, through the time. But he's definitely a real person and he definitely did these real things. I look at him like like Franklin Roosevelt, like the Gracchi brothers, you know, one of those guys, you know, maybe you could say Bernie Sanders. I don't know, like one of these guys who's, an, who's a noble, who's an aristocrat, sort of, you know, helps the poor and the common people. And so he's loved and hated by everybody, sort of, you know, but he really does big, big deeds. Well, his main achievement is uh, getting rid of the draconian laws, right? That was a real big one. I mean, now you could steal cabbage at will and not not get killed. (laughs) Yes. I mean, he, he, that was one of the first. So remember the, the draconian laws were established a few decades ago and they didn't seem to be working out too good. What, there's some good stories about him, but what's, um, but let me let me start. Let me get, sort of go through it. I'll tell you because I kind of know it from this. We'll do a little chronologically. We'll tell you the good stuff that he did. Please do. So he's born around six thirty to a noble family, and, but his and his father must have been quite a good guy too, I guess, because his parents gave away all his wealth to charity. So Solon had a start. You know, he wasn't just a rich noble. He had a he was drawn into the unaristocratic pursuit of commerce. So he was a you know he was a tr- businessman. And then at the time, Athens and Megara were contesting um, the island, the little island near Osalamis. So there was a lot, Athens had a lot of disasters. They, they kept losing and they were like kind of going to not, they were going to give up on it. But Solon, to improve the morale of his troops, he wrote a poem. There's like a whole story about this. He pretended he was crazy, read the poem out loud in the, you know, the marketplace because there was like a law and it's kind of like in Russia, you can't talk about the war going bad, but he pretended he was crazy and written. Um, read this poem that he wrote. And apparently it was a good poem because he got everybody all wound up and they wanted to um, go back to fight. So uh, they also made him in charge of the, uh, they made him the general. So not only is he a statesman, a poet, a businessman, he became a general too. So he was made the leader of the Athenian forces. And 
like the Greeks like to do. He he won the he won the battle by well trick. So what he did was he had one of his soldiers pretend that he was a you know deserter. He was going to uh, betray Athens, and he told the Megarians that the women of Athens were alone on an island, not not Salamis, another island. Um, then they're doing their sacrifices. So the Megarians sent a ship to the um, island to capture them. So they figured they would capture their women and then like use them to bribe them to say like, you know, we're going to end the war or you're going to do nasty things to your women. So the women were dancing on the beach until they saw the ship coming. Then Solon had all the women leave the beach and he dressed up the young soldiers as women so that, you know, they still saw women on the beach, they thought. And when the Megarians arrived, ha-ha, they were surprised and slaughtered. Then the Megarians took the ship, I mean, sorry, the Athenians took the ship Sailed back to Salamis and infiltrated the island and defeated the Megarians. I have so a wait. feeling that uh, Salamis is located at a very strategic position because it will play into our story later. Oh, uh, for sure. <laughs> Another very famous. But I never like this is great. I mean, I bet you a lot of you guys didn't know that this. I mean, because I knew about Solon, but I didn't know this about Salamis. And of course, Salamis does play a humongous, humongous. I mean, place in history. But I, I think you need to say something about this this plan. What um, way to go? Give us a, a way to go, Solon. Yeah, it sounds like pretty way stupid to go, the Solon. <laughs> yeah. Well, I always love it when you when somebody does something good and you say, "Way to go, Solon!" or "Good work, Solon." <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, sorry. Um, but the apparently the Megarians they refused to give up their claim, so the re dispute was referred to the Spartans, who eventually rewarded possession of the island. To Athens, because of course Solon made the best case because he was the best, you know, debater. Oh, so, even the Spartans believed yeah. him. Yeah, yeah. This guy was something else. So, so what he did though for the for Athens, because I mean, this like set Athens up, you know, to be a democracy and to like, you know, become the big empire that they were, the Western tradition, yada yada. So Solon's important, but at the time, people used to were being sold into slavery for their debts. And, and let me tell you, this is a warning for all you pure libertarians out there, because if you let things just go as far as they could go, people will have to sell their bodies for debts. Because basically what it was is you needed land. There was no way to get collateral. They, people owned it all. The only way you could, your collateral was your own body or your children, and you ended up being a debt trap. And then you either had to work for the people, try to escape, or you know they would even sell you to foreigners. Like you're literally sold into slavery because of debt. So this was not a good, you know, thing going on. I mean, you had Draco killing, executing you for stealing cabbages. You have, you know, being sold into slavery for your debts. So enter, enter Solon, and he was, you know, loved. He, he won this battle. He was accepted by the rich and the poor. It, it kind of reminds me of a person who could have really did a good job when he was elected president four years ago, but he turned out to just not be a decent human being. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> so his first act was to cancel debts and ban loans using human beings as collateral. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Seems obvious, but again, good work, Solon. Well, debt slavery was a big thing in many places. Yeah. It's not a good plan, though. So the rich weren't happy. Um, but then there was a scandal because he told his some of his closest friends that he wasn't going to focus on, because there was a land issue that's relate, you know, that created the debt issue. So he wasn't going to focus on the land issue. He's going to focus on the debt issue, being about the, you know, this because he was going to cancel these debts or the, and not let people be sold into slavery. So three of his friends went ahead and secured loans from the rich and they bought as much land as they could. And then when the new laws were in effect, 
they just figured out, oh, I'm not going to pay them because I knew it was going to happen. And people found out about it and it was a big scandal already. But in the end, people realized that Solon was one of the, he owned more land than almost anybody and he lost more than anybody. So, I mean, I guess they told, you know, he was betrayed by his friends and, you know, he didn't do, he didn't do it on purpose, but, you know, it was that kind of thing. So in the end, both sides weren't happy which usually means it was perfect compromise. <laughs> we, we must state here that uh, Athens is quite far from being a democracy at this point. The democracy is not in effect yet. No, but he's going to yes. start putting it into, start putting stuff into effect. Because yeah, he, actually, it's, he, a, it's a direct result of what Solon did. Right, right. He, he did all these things, right. I mean, we have to also realize that, and I've read that book, I'll, keep, I'll talk about it sometimes, you know, The Dawn of Humanity, A New History of Everything. People did live in sort of democratic, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't, like, our natural way of living isn't to have like some king telling you what to do, but then somebody comes and does it, you know, so it's sort of like a natural thing, but this is, you know, becoming more organized. So he, what he did was he divided the people into four classes based on wealth, not on heredity. And everyone had the right to vote or accuse anyone of wrongdoing. So it's like, you know, not, you know, obviously not slaves and women, but you know, you had, you know, you had universal suffrage and you live by the rule of law, you know, not just the strong the might makes right. And not by Draco's laws. Correct. So the poor could not hold public office, but they could serve as jurors on law cases. So now they were part of the, you know, they weren't slave being, oh, he canceled all the debts. I think I said that. So it's not only could you not be sold into slavery, you're also, your debts were canceled. So you're just like, ooh, not a slave anymore, you know? Uh, but and they could also be part of the government. So I mean, that'd be amazing, you know. Just imagine, like, oh, I was a slave, uh, and now I could be on a jury and I could vote. I mean, it's pretty cool. Um, I mean, we didn't even have that in the U.S. I mean, we, you know, we ended slavery and then we just, you know, we brought the Ku Klux Klan and you know try to keep burn, you know, hang people for another fifty years. So definitely pretty good guy to solo. So, but here's what you said about why he tra he traveled around because the deal was that. Only he could repeal the laws, right? So he left. <laughs> he left Athens for 10 years so that they would have to, people would have to get used to them and the laws would stick. And, and they did stick. So that's why he supposedly traveled all around the world. He, he traveled to Egypt. Um, and there was like some, somebody told him about Atlantis and all these crazy things. And we got a lot of stuff in um, Herodotus. Herodotus does a uh, part on him. And uh, actually, I think I forgot to say that a, a lot of our source of, Solon comes from Plutarch. Plutarch wrote a whole book on Solon, which I did not read. Um, but so there is this little story, and which is uh, most, you know, not going to be true, but it's a story in Herodotus about Solon that he met Croesus in Lydia when he was traveling. And Croesus was, you know, rich, rich, rich Croesus. He's rich and opulent. And he asked Solon, who's the happiest man he ever met? And Solon, you know, gives him a name that he never heard of, and these people, and they were you know, these good people and they had children and they died in a war and this other people and then they died and this other people and Crease is getting mad, of course. But basically what it what he was saying is that each person, you know, they have an honorable life. The main point is you can't say who's the happiest until the story of their life is over. You know, how could you know they're the happiest? They're not done. Maybe maybe they'll be miserable at the end. So here's a little I'll it's, it's one little quote from Herodotus. You wanna read it? I'll try. All right. Call him, however, until he die. Not happy, but fortunate. Scarcely indeed can any man unite all these advantages, as there is no country which contains within it all that it needs 
but each, while it possesses some things, lacks others, and the best country is that which contains the most. So no single human being is complete in every respect. Something is always lacking. He who unites the greatest number of advantages and retaining them to the day of his death then dies peaceably, that man alone, sire, is, in my judgment, entitled to bear the name of happy. But in every matter it behoves us to mark well the end, for oftentimes God gives men a gleam of happiness and then plunges them into ruin. Boom, boom. Great quote. I think so. I think that's the point of what he told Croesus. Yeah, Solomon's a good guy. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Yeah, so Solon is traveling uh, at the end of this decade then. Yeah, because we know Croesus didn't, he wasn't even around then. You know, they could have got that wrong anyway. Yeah. Then there's, this story continues. We'll, we'll, we'll probably get into that. That's a pretty interesting story about Croesus and that'll be a, that will be a spoiler. So. Okay. And I did, I did, um, I will put that list of part of Herodotus in the show notes. I got the link copied. All right. So, yeah. Oh, wait. Oh, my goodness. I got one little thing left. I got, no, I got a few things we got to talk about here in, in, in Greece. So. Yes, go right ahead. We have Sappho. You remember Sappho? Oh, yes. She was the, the lyric poet from the island of Lesbos. And I, like I like to say, lyrical poet is a fancy word for songwriter. She uh, most likely was gay, and that's where we get the word lesbian from. Again, like I said before, I mean, you could read about Sappho forever, right? So if you want to learn more about Sappho, there's a really good podcast called History is Gay Podcast. I'm I joined a podcasters, history podcasters group with some really nice people. And so um, they um, have this podcast and I, and it was about an hour and a half long. So <laughs> if you want to, you know, hear more about Sappho and they're, they're funny and it's a, you know, they, they talk and stuff, you know, banter. So it's called history of gay and history of history is gay podcast. <laughs> I will, uh, I'll put the link in the show notes, but I'll tell you a little bit about Sappho here, you know. She was ex around this time. This is what happens around here. Sappho is thought to have been exiled from Lesbos, going into Sicily sometime between you know between six hundred four and five ninety one, and because of her family's involvement with some conflicts between the political elites and Lesbos. And there's another person, a guy, uh, a contemporary. His name is Alceus from Mytilene around the same time. So these two are apparently were exiled, and you know the. Story about Sappho in the end is the tradition going back, you know, hundreds of years later of Sappho's time. Probably not true, but you know, you'll hear this that her that she uh, killed herself by jumping off a cliff because she was in love with a fairy man, a man. But this re- really, it's regarded as not true by scholars because it was probably invented by uh, these comic poets hundreds of years later, and it was probably because they wanted to, you know, say that she was a heterosexual. So. That's her. I see. Good old Sappho. Do we have some uh, sport news? I do. Not the Phrygian Games, though, or the Pythian Games. We have the, some Olympics. Just a couple. 
46 Olympics, 596 BC, the stadium. Come on, you got to do it. Krixamaxos of Laconia. Krixamaxos <laughs> of Laconia. Yes, Sparta Stadium. And how about the next one? You can do all these. Uh, the stadium for boys was won in 596 by Polymnestor of Miletus. Uh, so not to Spartan. In uh, 592 BC, we have the 47th Olympic. The stadium is won by another Spartan, Eurycles of Laconia. And then we have the Teth Ripon. What is that? Oh boy, you know what? I'm going to have to get back to you on that, man. I did not see that. It seems uh, like there is some Athenian shenanigans going on here at the Olympics because it's won by Megacleus of Athens, and mm-hmm. it's this new thing. We are going to look that up and get back to you all with that one. I'm Googling it right now. Okay, there was no easy answer. It's a band called Tethrippund. <laughs> oh, yeah, they rock out, oh, man. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so that's uh, all we have from um, Greece yeah. and the colonies. But it will be... In- Increasingly hard to keep this separate, and it will also steal the, the show uh, in the upcoming years. So we'll see what we do about Greece. But for now, we'll try to cover Greece separately. But they yeah. are spreading out. They are in Egypt. They are all over the Mediterranean. Yeah. They are poking the eyes of the Carthaginians. Yeah. If you were playing like a video game, you know, like Civilization or one of those kind of games, you know? Now you'd be like, the Greeks would have been this small and the Syrians, but now you'd have them like, whoa, they're everywhere. Yeah, I'm thinking Rome Total War. Yeah, something like that. Oh, I'll get into those sometimes. I I watched I just watched the YouTube videos of it. It's so freaking complicated. I couldn't imagine actually playing the game. Well, I spent months playing the original game. I believe you. I used to play Civilization and I used to play Age of Empires. The most fun I had in Rome Total War actually was that you could like hack it so you could play all factions and uh, the the Sidians were incredibly powerful as a Oh yeah. As the active faction, so I swept the world with the Scythian horse, horse archers, and that was nice. quite a lot of fun. <laughs> they could just stay uh, at range in the original game, and people just died. So they were <laughs> riding around the city, shooting everyone from the outside. Nice. The only way you beat the Scythians, I think, was you had to, like, use spycraft and get, you know, like, dis- you had to sort of, like, um, you know, divide and conquer. Or trap them between cavalry units. No, oh, okay. That probably worked. that'll be another we're never starting a new podcast bro uh, we're talking about our victories in video games (laughs) (laughs) 10 listeners (laughs) it'll be dedicated though (laughs) i I think the least number of listeners i ever had on a podcast was my pokemon go podcast it had uh, 30 listeners and uh, they all hated me and brennan (laughs) I, i think we might have mentioned that when brennan was on this show Oh, that's great. But uh, it was yes during this big Pokemon Go spike, and we were late to the show, and we did six episodes, and at the time, we had covered everything in the game in those six episodes, so we (laughs) gave up. Ah. All right, well, that is the end of Greece, and we're going to go to another place on our next episode, right, Dan? Yes, we will. There is a lot to talk about in the fine 90s. There is some news from Rome. There is some events in uh, Jerusalem. Yeah. Uh, China, of course. Yeah. Uh, lots, of, lots of stuff. Lots of fancy stuff coming up. Yeah, it's going to be like, it's, it's It's starting to remind me like of your um, Prime Minister murder podcast. There's a lot of information and we can keep, we could slice it up and keep going, you know, and keep really uh, giving you some good information. And then 
Yeah, I'll talk about it another time. But I really think this is the only place I think you can get all this information like chronologically. Because, you you know, when I'm studying this, you know, they'll say like, and then this happened 50 years later, and then this 100 years. That's five generations. Like, you're knowing like right now, we're going to keep going like Solon, Sappho, Hippocrates is, you know, um, ancestor. We're going to the battles in China. We're going to Rome. Like you've seen it all together. This is all happening at the same time. Just like what's happening in our world now. We have Ukraine and we have this and that. So I think it's good. And you guys should tell your friends. Please do. And please. if you really love us, please support us on Patreon. Patreon.com. Search for Fano History. We are there and we will be extremely happy for your contributions. Big thanks extremely. to everyone who has sponsored us. So thank Big you for thanks. that. Thank you. Really. All right. Well, I'll talk to you next time, Dan. Talk to you next time, Bernie. All right. Ciao. Ciao. Oh, cheers. <laughs> cheers. Ciao. Hey, do. <laughs> if you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash fan of history. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks. And see you next time.